Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to my show and my friend joining me today, Oliver Dias, a former Supreme Court Justice who has traveled the world in a really terrific position to write a column, his first column actually, about the right to travel and the fact that it's a constitutional right we have. And for people who come here from other countries and they see how free we are to move from state to state, they're they're usually blown away by that. And um, for those of us who travel a little bit over overseas, we, we get a chance to see it, you know, sometimes not so easy to move from one country to the next. You just have to understand the rules and do what is appropriate and whatever. But Oliver's in a great position based on the conversation we were just having about his extensive travel around the world and how that gives you such a great understanding of the world that we're in. Oliver, I want, we're going to get back to your comment in a minute, but I wanted to share, I, I actually came across something that a friend of mine who I used to work with at uh, Knight Ritter, actually McClatchy. She was uh, uh, worked in McClatchy. And she just returned. Her name is Lynn Dickerson, and she's from California. She's a terrific person. And her and her husband just just got back for, from a trip to Europe. And she wrote some of her takeaways. And the first two things on her takeaway was this. The first thing was this. There are kind people everywhere and in every language. And second, people laugh, smile, and cry in the same language. Those are two beautiful, like, learnings, aren't they? That, that's wonderful. And, and it, it, it's so true. Um, and when we travel, I mean, we we realize that the, the communities that we're in, they, they care about the same exact things that we care about. I mean, their kids are going to school. They, they want to, they, you know, they just want to live in peace and support their family, love their families, and, and enjoy life. And that's what everybody around the world, every, everywhere we've gone, it's the same thing. Yeah, um, you know, family, friends, and in, enjoying their life. Yeah, listen, uh, one of the reasons why Laurie Jackson, mm-hmm. who's an independent uh, missionary who's been working in Ukraine for many, many years, she she actually helped my cousin's daughter uh, adopt two boys from Ukraine, and then there's a one, there's a young girl who's staying with her now because of the war. But I like to have Laurie on because what we what we learn about the people of Ukraine is that they're religious. They're, most of them are Christian. They love their place just like we love our place. And they're being attacked. And they're defending their place because they love their freedoms. And, we, you know, the politicization of a war like Ukraine makes me crazy because we, we lose sight around strategically why it's important for us to make sure Ukraine wins. But more important than any of that is simply the people there are no different than us. Exactly. They love their place. And they are defending their place. And, and, we, and they're defending their home. Even more than their place, it's their home. They it's, are. And uh, you know, what, I've, what I've, I've encouraged her, in fact, uh, last week I had, she was on with me, and one of their drivers for this, this, this kind of mismatch effort, this volunteer effort that's underway to help citizens and what they call defenders is, uh, you know, they've had uh, computer programmers and entrepreneurs and all these people who did these things in their, in their real normal lives <laughs> are now 
you know, volunteering as drivers and whatever they can do to help this effort along. And she, she's for I think three shows now. She's had one of them join me, and uh, one of them, the one of the drivers uh, joined me from Lviv. And his his world was he was a digital marketing specialist before <laughs> before the war started. Now he's driving, you know, what work going going to the front line, bringing th- things that defenders need. But it's an amazingly inspiring story. That but you, uh, you've, you, at the end of the day, what you shared was this Saint August. Quote. Uh, why don't you kind of share the basis of what that was all about? Yeah, um, it, you know, when I found that quote, it just it just hit me, and um, it's it's an old quote. Saint Augustine lived a long time ago, but he said that the world is like a book, and people who don't travel read only one page, and that struck me. You have to see more than just where you are in order to. To explore the world, uh, one of the one one of the main things I wanted to uh, throw out there was that people don't realize how valuable an American passport is. An American passport allows us access to 186 countries in the world without a, a visa in advance, which is incredible. The UN, United Nations only recognizes 193 countries. We can travel to 186 countries without a visa. Just by contrast. Uh, the United States only allows citizens of 40 countries to travel to the United States without a visa. So our American passport is such a valuable document and it allows us to see the world and we really should do it. Take advantage of, <laughs> of your constitutional right. Take advantage of your passport. It's, it's the it, world it, is out there. You've seen this experience many times, but to get from to get from split Croatia to Dubrovnik, you've got to go through Bosnia. And I wasn't sure, you know, I wasn't sure what that was going to be like, because I, I, I didn't know what kind of ill will there might be, et cetera. But once once we got to to uh, Bosnia and showed our American passport, man, they were so thrilled that we were there because we had done so much to help them during the war. Um, you just never know what you're going to experience, do you? Exactly. I've been to those places and experienced the same thing. What's great is that, well, it's sort of sad that I mentioned it in the article that I wrote that Americans don't generally travel a lot internationally. I mean, only 40 percent of American citizens even have a passport. So we don't travel. But but when we do and we go to places like that, these people seeing Americans, uh, some of them for the first time, but they've seen America in movies, in songs, in books, and they're so excited to actually meet an American. They want to talk to us and find out more about America. Just a real quick story. I, I was in Zimbabwe, and uh, the driver that I hired to take us around there, um, he, he said, you know, he said, I always see in America, he said, I've, I've always wanted to know about this. He said, every American movie I watch, I see Americans eating nachos. I, I, I can't imagine. I, I don't remember a movie where Americans eat, but he's seen this. And he said, I've always wanted to taste nachos. Can you tell me about nachos? I said, look, we'll do even better. I want to show you how to make nachos so you can do We actually took him to the supermarket and showed him how to buy the ingredients and, and make it for himself. But, um, but yeah, people are excited to see Americans. They want to know more about us. That is that is so cool. Well, we're out of time for today. Oliver, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. Thanks for writing a column. Can't wait to see what your next topic is. We'll have you back on to talk about it. But this has been Oliver Diaz. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Ricky.
follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. Reminding you why we all love living in coastal Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back. We're visiting with Oliver Diaz, who is, um, you know, the former Supreme Court Justice here in Mississippi. He's a thought leader now, columnist for Super Talk Mississippi News. And uh, we're talking about the right to travel, which is his first column. And I, I really meant it, that there were some very significant milestones in his travels. It'll be interesting to see what's in the future. But, um, you know, when I think, uh, I spent a lot of time, our, our family, early in our lives, we spent a lot of time spending time up in the Blue Ridge Parkway, around about the Appalachian Trail. I always sort of thought, one day I wanted to do that. Of course, I had young kids and now grandkids. It's not it's not in the cards for me just to leave and go to, to go take that long walk. But, you know, you did a, a significant portion of the Appalachian Trail. You've uh, had some other very significant milestones along the way. When you look back and you think about these long heights in these faraway places, what stands out to you? Well, it, it, it's almost like asking you to pick a favorite child. <laughs> you know, they, they, they all have something special when you when you do something like that. But we, I really enjoy um, Jennifer and I doing long hikes, mainly because you you sort of immerse yourself in whatever environment it is that 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 you're in, and um, you get a real feel for the people there and a real feel for the the <coughs> excuse me the environment and the trail, and 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 so they're all very special. Whether one, our, our first long distance hike was actually through the Sierra Nevada mountains in um, California. Um, it's called the John Muir Trail, which, which begins in Yosemite National Park. And it's a 230 mile hike, I think, through the high Sierras. Most of it is above 10,000 feet in altitude. And uh, we walked for approximately 30 days. And you end the hike at the top of Mount Whitney in California, which is actually the highest point in the continental United States. Uh, Alaska has some higher points, but in the continental United States, Mount Whitney in California is the highest. So we hiked from Yellowstone National Park to the top of Mount Whitney uh, over a period of 30 days. We had to carry our food with us, um, it, all, all remote backcountry camping. Uh, we slept out in the wilderness every night. You have to have a bear canister to keep your food from from bears who may be rummaging at night. But it was such a wonderful and peaceful experience. We didn't have cell phones. We couldn't have any contact with the outside world. I had no news reports for almost 30 days. Um, and it was just life-changing. And I think after doing that, we realized that you really don't need a lot of possessions. We didn't need everything that we had back home. We were carrying literally everything we, we needed in a backpack for 30 days, and we were fine. Um, so we we after that we we reevaluated everything. We were, we were able to downsize a lot of our our life. We sold a bigger house and moved into a much smaller place, and um, it that enabled us to travel even more. So uh, it included uh, a walk to the shrine of Saint of Saint James the uh, the Great, and uh, we know it as the Way of Saint James, the Camino del Santiago. But explain to people how significant that is. Well, the Camino de Santiago is uh, um, is is a pilgrimage. It's a it started as a religious pilgrimage uh, more than a thousand years ago, and and people have been walking this path 
um, from their homes in Europe or actually from all over the world to reach this, uh, the, the cathedral, which is, um, it, it, it's known as the um, resting place of, of one of the uh, 12 apostles, uh, St. James. And um, people have made this pilgrimage for, you know, over a thousand years. That was just such an amazing experience. It's not a difficult hike at all. It's it, it's a cult. It's more of a cultural experience. Um, we were able to walk. We started in 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 France. Um, most of the trail is in in Spain, but we started in in France, and um, and and just walk. You walk through the countryside, and you walk all day. And you stop at a little village, and we would spend the night in these these little European villages, and you just get to really be a part of the local community. Um, I, I was telling someone the other day that you know you we as Americans will if we want a sandwich we'll go to a fast food joint or, or or even a gas station and and pull a sandwich off the shelf and you've got something to eat for the day. Um, in these little small European villages. They don't have convenience stores or, or fast food places. We would have to wake up in the morning. We would go to a baker and get a loaf of bread. We would go next door to the uh, butcher and get some sliced meat for our sandwich. And then we'd have to go next door to that to get some cheese from the cheesemonger in town. And, and then maybe go walk through the outdoor um, uh, market to get our, our vegetables for the day. Uh, it was a whole experience. It's just a different culture than we're used to. And it was so wonderful to do that because each time you do that, you have these interactions with locals in their community. And of course, they want to know more about us and we want to know more about them. So it's just such a such an amazing experience. Well, see, so that was more the cultural experience and understanding. Remind people how many miles it was. Well, the total we walked was um, right at a, uh, um, 1,500 miles. Um, it took us 64 days to, to walk that. We would walk every day. Um, you don't walk the same amount. Some some days you don't feel like walking, so you may walk um, six six to ten miles maybe. Uh, other days we walk 20 miles. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it it's a commitment. Um, I actually had a stress fracture in one of my legs while we were doing it um, because of I mean, it's it's it, there's lots of climbing and stairs and things like that. Not that it's extremely difficult, but it's just a repetitive thing day after day to get up every morning and know that you're going to walk to another village that may be you know, 10, 12 miles away. What what a great experience. It, it reminds me, one of the walks I would love to do before, I would say it's a bucket list item, is the walk to base camp at... Um, yeah, um, you Mount know, Everest. At Mount Everest. Yeah, you know, that's those, definitely on my list. That's on my bucket list. Through those communities along the way, and you know, getting getting used to the climate as you as you do the walk. I've watched so many documentaries about it, and so many different programs about it. I would love to do that. That that's got to be one of the pinnacle walks. Oh, oh, it absolutely is. There, there actually are are lists of the great hikes of the world, and that's always listed on on pretty much every list. Um, it's similar to one that I that I already did though is the um, the hike to Machu Picchu um, in in Peru. Uh, we we walked um, from you know small village in Peru and several days through the uh, the Andes and the the, the mountains. Um, Hiking all the way up to um, to Machu Picchu after after several days, and the the way they time it is um, it is the last day of the hike. 
you leave your little camp where you are and you, you walk at dark. And by the time you get to Machu Picchu, it's just right at sunrise and you see the, the sun coming up over Machu Picchu. And um, it, it's just such a breathtaking experience to be able to see that. Yeah, my son, as I mentioned to you before, my son Justin did that, and he he describes it in much the same way. Whereas the the Camino was a cultural experience, right. what 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 uh, the 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 hike to Mount Kilimanjaro was was a challenge. <laughs> it's less the cultural <laughs> experience, but more sort of the ultimate challenge. At least that's the way you described it, isn't it? Yeah, um, you know, I was fortunate to be able to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, um, which was one of my bucket list items. I really wanted to do it. it, it for those who don't know, it's the highest peak in Africa. Um, it's not a technical climb. Um, it's one of the highest mountains in the world, but it's it's not a technical climb because it's so near the equator. There, There's not a lot of ice. It, there's ice at the very top, but um, much of the climb is not. But it was absolutely the most grueling and difficult hike that I've ever decided to undertake. It was basically five days of, of climbing. And when I say climbing, it's basically walking uphill. It's, it's not technical and it's not, you know, it's not extremely difficult. But you have to remember that every single step that you're taking is up. Just imagine walking up a staircase every, every step for five days. Um, it takes a toll on you. Um, and, and so that, but 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 the rewards there are are, are similar. Uh, we we reached the very peak of uh, Mount Kilimanjaro as the sun was coming up, and um, to see the the sun coming in the highest peak of Africa uh, one morning is just something you know I'll never forget. So when you when you're doing a hike like that, I wonder because I, th I think about doing a hike in. Montana, Wyoming, where you're going up, but it's, you know, it's a couple of miles. It's, you know, maybe the biggest hike might be four miles. That seems brutal, though. It's brutal when you're walking up and you're doing it in you know, half a day. You know, you're not, you're not spending day after day after day after doing it. But I remember so well when I did hikes like that, uh, my calves would hurt, my, yep. my legs would hurt, my feet would hurt. Do, do your feet and legs ever get used to a hike like that, or you just have to endure through it? Well, I, you do have to prepare for those things. And so I usually do a lot of walking um, and, and try to do some uh, some steps, you know, to, to get, get accustomed to it. But it's very difficult here in Mississippi to acclimate yourself to these high altitudes. Mount Kilimanjaro is 20,000 feet. Uh, most pilots um, in a non-pressurized cabin start using oxygen around 10,000 feet. So Kilimanjaro, 20,000 feet, it's, it, it takes a toll on you. Every breath you take is, is labored, and you have to think about it. When we come back with Oliver Diaz, we'll talk about this St. Augustine quote that he used in, uh, in the piece that he wrote for Super Talk Mississippi News. We'll see you after this. and love for coastal Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. 
Welcome back. We're having a visit with my friend Oliver Diaz, who is um, a former Supreme Court justice, and he's also writing a column for Super Talk Mississippi News. We call them thought leaders. And I've had a string of them here on the show. It's been terrific to have this opportunity to, to visit with them. But Oliver has traveled around the world, and he's got so much great experience. He's had He's been on just about every major media you can think about, even one of John Grisham's books, The Appeal, was uh, was uh, a book that was was an that Oliver was an inspiration to John Grisham. I've read incidentally every single book that he's that he's that he's read. Hang on a minute, we're getting a an alert. Oh, I just but, got it. So, so anyway, yeah, Oliver has been, uh, Oliver is a, a guy who's hit on a lot of cylinders. He and his wife have literally traveled the world, has a wonderful perspective. We'll get here in just a second. Well, let, the, let me tell you, Ricky, I, yeah. I, a lot of people talk about the, the Grisham book and they said, wow, you know, that's amazing. John Grisham wrote a, a story about what you've gone through. And I, I said, hold on just a second. I said, when, when John Grisham's writing about you, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's usually <laughs> not a good thing. <laughs> so while it is an honor, it's, uh, it, it can be a mixed blessing. Boy, I know it. I, I know that's, that's definitely the case. Hey, listen, let's come back to dyslexia for just a second because um, I had an entire show about it. And what you learn about dyslexia, uh, the same point that you just made that early in your life, you were actually labeled a slow learner. I was as well. I was. I was. Uh, I was labeled a, a slow learner. <clears throat> it wasn't until I got in high school, and that, I never will forget it. That I was. I was moved from regular English to sort of a remedial English. And my English teacher, I don't think you have a similar story, but she. She said, "Holy mackerel, Ricky, <clears throat> you're very bright." The last place you need to be in, and I mean, I literally aced her class. She helped me. She helped me in so many different ways. But mine was reading. I had a difficult time reading, and uh, I can tell you, you know, there was one book, literally one book, I read all the way through my entire twelve years of school. Now I've read at a lot of books, enough to get by, but one book that I read all the way through, A Call of the Wild, was the name of the book. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but she she helped me in ways that I wish I could speak to her today to explain to her what what a difference she made. But as soon as I started to ace that class, I get moved out of her class <laughs> because <laughs> they said I don't belong here. But she was helping me in ways I can't even imagine. But listen, man, it was just agonizing for me to read. And and listen, when I became publisher of the Sun Herald and went on to, with my career. I'm sure there were English teachers that were literally falling out in their path, you know, hearing that Ricky Matthews was actually publisher of a newspaper um, because their experience with me was so difficult. I was I was a challenging student. You know, I was I was just challenging. And uh, do you have the same kind of experience? Exactly the same kind of experience. Uh, I was labeled a slow learner as well because I had real great difficulty with with math and uh, was was actually failing a lot of math classes. And so I got labeled a, a slow learner. Uh, but I had one teacher who took an interest and in, and and thought that you know that you just don't seem like you belong in the slow class that that I'm normally associated with. And so he actually pulled my standardized testing that we do all through school. And he said, I pulled your tests and your IQ scores are, are just amazing. He said, um, you're, you're not a slow learner. And he said, we, we've got to do something about this. And so um, he, he brought that to the attention of, of the, the school authorities. And um, they actually shifted the focus and put me in the, a class that, um, 
that I, I should have been in to begin with. And, and um, you know, I had a problem with math, but I don't have a problem with, with literature. I love to read. Um, I'm very good with words. They are usually the greatest on, um, on all the, the, those sort of tests. Um, so, I, you know, when, once you finally find your, your focus and the things that you're good at, you can, you can then bloom and, and things progress from there. That's what happened. That's what happened to me. I had a uh, had a great conversation with a man by the name of Ronnie Cuz Strickland. It, it, you you probably do, maybe don't know him. It, it's in the hunting community, we know him really well. He works with Mossy Oak, and he did uh, hunting the country for twenty something years. He's still you know sort of a social media a star nationally, representing Mississippi in the outdoors community in a big way. But his grandson, who's 11, has dyslexia, and they, they were able to find it early, and he goes to a class up at Mississippi State once a week, and he's about to graduate from that class, incidentally. But he did, Ronnie did a show with his son, with his grandson, and gosh, man, this kid is so bright, so beyond his ear, years and the way he sees things and sees life. And you hear that a lot about young people with dyslexia, that they... If they can get through it, they can be an incredible success, or they become a really good manipulator and they end up in jail. As you and I talked about, our jails oh, yeah. are full of people with dyslexia, sadly, isn't it? Oh, ab- absolutely. But it's great now that they're they're looking for those things. When you and I were growing up, uh, you know, that was we just didn't know about dyslexia. The the teachers and administrators didn't know, but now actually they they look for it and they have tools to to help the students. So I think they're much better off now than they were uh, when we were kids. So Oliver, it was it was seemed fitting to me that your first column that because you as we've just discussed you're going to be able to write on a wide range of, of topics but this the, you know the first column you write is the, the, a right to travel and I, I loved I loved the quote that you did toward the end in fact a couple of people as you know got pointed that out and I won't I won't steal the thunder about the St Augustine quote that you shared. I'll let you share it here shortly, but why don't you kind of give sort of a, the context of what you wrote? Well, you know, in America, we, we constantly, you turn on the television, any news program, and you're going to see debates um, about our constitutional rights, whether it's um, the Second Amendment, you know, right to bear arms, or, or like you said earlier, the First Amendment, um, you know, how, how far is our right to free speech or publication? How, how far does that go? You see these debates about our constitutional rights all the time. A lot of people don't realize that the right we have as Americans to travel, not only within the United States, but travel the world, is actually a constitutional right. The United States Supreme Court has ruled that Americans have a constitutional right to travel. Nobody ever debates that or even talks about it. I mean, it's like almost we take that as like an inherent God-given right that, uh, you know, we can travel anytime we want to and nobody can tell us not to. But, you know, that's not the truth. It's a constitutional right that we have to guard and, and constantly um, be, be aware of or else it can be taken away. It, folks, folks don't realize that, you know, when we were an early republic, that you couldn't cross state lines without the proper paperwork or documentation. Um, can you imagine that today if you wanted to go see a Saints game and you had to show your papers at the Louisiana-Mississippi border? I mean, we don't even think about that. Our weekend in Destin, I mean, 
you know, got to travel two states from Mississippi to get there. Um, that's not always been a, a, a free access thing for Americans. We've got to remember that that's a constitutional right that we have to be be aware of. And so, so when you, you know, when you travel. And you have traveled a lot. In fact, why don't you kind of give people a sense who didn't hear our last conversation, give them a sense of what you did. <laughs> well, um, my wife and I, after our kids grew up and, and moved out of the household and, and, and went to college, you know, we had some free time. Um, actually, Jennifer started seeing some of her friends were getting sick. Um, some women that she knew had breast cancer. Some of their husbands had heart problems. And uh, one of her friends, her husband, dropped dead from a heart attack. Um, and, and she said, you know, you've got a great job. You're making lots of money. She said, but, you know, we, we have enough. We have a lot already. You know, you can take time off from work, and we could actually start traveling and enjoying life. Uh, she had to actually convince me. I wasn't uh, on board right away, but 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 she ultimately convinced me. And we we would travel slowly at first. Uh, I, I had to sort of get my feet wet before we really dove in. But um, she convinced me that uh, we actually had enough assets that we could we could travel and we could actually travel the world. And so we started doing that, and um, and I've really enjoyed it. We we've actually uh, stayed for I think it was nine months in South America at one time, just traveling around South America. We did seven months in um, Southern Africa. Um, just uh, we rented a car in South Africa and, and drove through several different countries all throughout uh, South Af Southern Africa, and and really enjoyed that. We've been through Europe. Um, last year we stayed um, for five months on the island of Bali, which was wonderful. <laughs> and it included travel all over the United States as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I haven't actually been to every single state. I think I've been to 47 states. But you, what's interesting about your travels, as we discussed um, when we had the opportunity to spend the time, you know, the whole show together, was that you always pick the more difficult routes. <laughs> Y'all did some really long hikes, for example, and you... You did uh, Kilimanjaro. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about some of the really important you know, milestones in your travels, and then we'll talk a little bit more about this right to travel. We'll come back with Oliver Diaz. We'll see you after this break. Celebrating the amazing people of coastal Mississippi and across this great state who are working hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. As you know by now, this is the show that celebrates Mississippi, especially coastal Mississippi, uh, and the amazing people that have worked so hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. We have a great guest today. Get to that here in just a second. I want to I want to share something with you. I come across uh, quotes from time to time. I share them on the show all the time. But one of the things is that I lo love my morning reading. I, I mean, I'm a former publisher, so it's in my DNA to want to learn more. And I've often said on the show, the more we learn, the more we better learn how much we don't know, that this process of learning keeps us humble. It makes us want to learn more. So my mornings are, are very much all about, you know, all these different newsletters that I get that aggregate news from around the world. 
and uh, not just news, but stuff. You know, stuff that will that will uh, that will t- teach me what I need to know. Um, but it's you know we have a, we have a complicated world, and oftentimes there are a lot of burning issues around the world that you learn about in the morning reading. And this morning I actually came across a Tennessee Williams quote that I'm going to share with you uh, uh, shortly. But I wanted to share a background with you real quick. I was I was lucky in college because when I got there, I really wanted to learn. I had spent 12 years in high school. Uh, trying to learn how to learn. Um, it was tough for me, to be quite honest with you. And I often said that I learned through osmosis because I didn't study a lot. I didn't really apply myself, but I battled dyslexia, as I've said on this show before. Then it was, you know, the, when I was growing up, dyslexia wasn't understood the way that it is today. And the good news is today, people can get a lot of help in learning how to learn at a younger age. And uh, and they and they tend to perform really well, to be honest with you. If they get get the diagnosis and and they get people to work with them, but I had an incredible desire to learn. And once I learned how to learn, I got to college. I was you know I was literally a human sponge. I soaked it up. I loved the process of it. I loved my teachers. At least usually I love love my teachers. One of my favorite courses was literature. I loved literature. And I especially love studying the playwrights. Now, playwrights like Eugene O'Neill and uh, Arthur Miller. You may know Arthur Miller. He's the the playwright who married Mar- Marilyn Monroe. But I especially enjoy Tennessee Williams because he's a Mississippian. He was born in Columbus, spent time in Clarksdale, and um, and he he was uh, he was one of the top one of the top three playwrights of the 20th century. Um, but I was drawn to Tennessee Williams at the age of 33. He wrote the Glass Menagerie. And he won two Pulitzer Prizes, one for Streetcar Named Desire and the other for a cat on a hot tin roof. But he was a deep thinker, and he lived a troubled life. You know, a lot of great writers did. They loved troubled life. For example, I've talked about many times Ernest Hemingway. I've literally read everything he's written, and but he was a troubled dude. That, that is for sure. But this Tennessee Williams quote that I ran across this morning got my attention. And in the quote, he actually uses the word mercurial. And if you don't know that word, let me just tell you what it is. It means that that it's fickle. It means unstable. Okay. So remember what I said that in my morning newsletters, I get to see and read about these burning issues. It does feel at times that we are in a burning building. (laughs) And here's what Tennessee Williams had to say about that. The world is violent and mercurial. It will have its way with you. We are saved only by love, love for each other, the love that we pour into the art we feel compelled to share, Um, being a parent, being a writer, being a painter, being a friend. We live in in a perpetually burning building, and what we must save from it all the time is love. Anyway, I thought that was a great message this morning, and I just wanted to share a little bit about my connection to Tennessee Williams. Um, just a, a wonderful, great playwright who had a lot of important things to say. So now let's shift gears. I want to move over to my friend Oliver Diaz, the former Supreme Court Justice in Mississippi. He's now a thought leader, opinion contributor to Super Talk Mississippi News, and we'll talk more about that here in a second. But without any further ado, let me say good morning to you, Oliver. How you doing? Hey, Ricky. Good morning. Great to see you. And uh, first of all, congratulations on the new name of the show. I think it's very appropriate, and I'm I'm glad to be a part of it. 
Well, thank you, my friend. Look, uh, as I said a couple of times for people who didn't hear, Koshi has served as well for a long time. But as new people were brought into the show, they didn't know what view meant. View, a French word that says the visual perception of a region. It fit perfectly. And the show really did fit really well. But people would tend to say Ricky's show. And, you know, we had a lot of internal discussions about it. But eventually, just to make it a little bit easier to remember the show from a marketing perspective, uh, we all decided that maybe we just ought to name it the Ricky Matthews show. And it, I think it will help sort of keep keep the uh, the confusion to a minimum, so to speak. But thank you very much. Yeah. You know, Oliver, I really enjoyed the visit that we had as, as, as uh, you know, regular readers, uh, listeners know this, that you and I spent an entire show together uh, talking about your time in retirement and the, wor- the, the world traveling that you and your wife have done. It's just been an incredible to watch that. But, you know, when you do that, it gives you a perspective on the world, doesn't it? Oh, well, it, it absolutely does. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed listening to your opening and about how, uh, as, as an editor, you had to, you always open to reading something and learning more. Uh, it, you know, I didn't think about it, but I guess we sort of share that, that perspective with our, with our professions. One of the great things about being a lawyer first and, and then a judge is that, um, I got to be an expert in so many different fields. I mean, if a, if a, client came to me with an automobile accident and his brakes weren't working, I had to learn about brakes in automobiles. Or if, if somebody was, uh, uh, you know, had, had an injury to their arm, I had to learn medical terms and, 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 and medical procedures and things like that. So it was always a learning process when I was practicing law and, and as a judge. And, you know, I've, I've kept that um, curiosity and, um, that, that desire to, to always learn more and want to know more. So I, I guess that's something we have in common and it, it feeds us and it's worked very well in retirement because I, I always want to see something different and learn more about a place or a person or a thing. So, so yeah, that, that's exactly what I go through in the morning as well. Hey, one of, one of the, one of the interesting conversations I have with, 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 um, with listeners, it's fun to do a show like this because you get a lot of feedback. You hear from a lot of people Social media gives you a chance to really engage people. So I get a lot of notes from people. And you know what's one interesting? One of the one of the main questions I get from people is how do you know so much about so many different things? Exactly. That's what they ask me. It's it goes exactly to your point that when you're a publisher of a newspaper, you've got a company to run, you're engaged in the community, and you, you have the fiduciary responsibility and a First Amendment obligation. And each of those has unbelievable learning curves attached to them. So, you know, you, you as a CEO, man, you learn a lot about about a company. You learn a lot, lot about boards and stakeholders, et cetera, and the community. I've always been super dedicated to engaging lots and lots of hours in the community because I think that when you're doing that, you are able to understand, at least in my case as a publisher, to make sure the newspaper sort of mirrored the important uh, issues of the community. And then, um, and then, of course, in, in the First Amendment side of this, this, the number of stories that we might do in a given day, just like, just like you as a lawyer, might r- run the gamut on topics. And so when you do that for a long time, which I did, which you did, um, you do learn a lot about a lot. And, <laughs> exactly. and as a, and as, I'm very as, good at trivial pursuit. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, what's interesting, though, and it, it, uh, I really believe what I said, and that is, the more we learn, the more we learn how much we don't know. And 
you know, it's um, we're, we're kind of small in this world of knowledge, and it just keeps you humble and wanting to know more. <clears throat> but that's what you, you know, that's that's where you are, and your travels remind you of that. Is it? it? It not only reminds you how small the world really is, but it also reminds you, gosh, man, every time you go to a different country, there's just a whole, you know, whole smorgasbord of things to learn, isn't there? Uh, oh yeah, there's there's always a learning curve, whether it's the language, the the culture. Um, just, just the people, the, 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 the environment, you know, sometimes you're in a, in a mountainous region. Sometimes you're in a desert region. There's so much diversity, uh, and, and that shapes the community that you're, you're visiting. And, and so you have to learn a little bit about that. You know, I'd never heard that, um, Tennessee Williams quote that, that you had, and I love it. I mean, it, it's great. Um, another thing I, I didn't realize about your dyslexia, struggling with that, um, I have the uh, dyslexia that comes with numbers. I had I, I, I could not do math, um, yeah, and, and always struggled with math. And and when I was a, a younger student, um, I think I was uh, labeled as a very slow learner because I just couldn't do math. And it, it comes. I, I transpose numbers all the time. I can never remember phone numbers or anything. I just have a problem with numbers. Um, but it, it that I, I I was able to overcome it as as you did as well. But one of the things I, I was able to focus on is words. I mean, I'm very good uh, with reading and writing and uh, and have, have come to enjoy it. And, and like you, I had a great love of literature and reading. And and so we're very fortunate to, to be in a place like Mississippi where we have so many great writers who have always expressed um, their, their take on the world, which is always unique, whether it's Tennessee Williams or Faulkner or John Grisham or Eudora Welty or Walker Burton. I mean, we just have a plethora, an abundance, of, uh, you know, a smorgasbord of wealth of, of writers and stories from Mississippi. We're with Oliver Diaz, uh, former Supreme Court Justice from Mississippi, who's now a thought leader for Super Talk Mississippi News. When we come back on the other side, we'll continue the conversation. We'll see you after this break. Talk Mississippi Media Production.